Hello, junkies! Here we go with episode number one of The Gangster. Can you believe it has been five years since we did The Champion? Holy cats, five stinking years! The Gangster hardcover is up for pre-order over at scottsigler.com slash thegangster. We do not have a release date yet for the hardcover, ebook, or the full audiobook, but at the time this episode comes out, Steve the Iceberg Rickyberg is editing the audiobook. The hardcover is in layout with Donna Mugavero, the diva of design, and the ebook is also in layout process. So, we are in the closing stages of packaging everything up for you, but I'm not going to give you a release date until we know for sure. What? What you say? You want a full book to listen to right now? Then go the to get Mount Fitzroy. It's the sequel to Earthcore. You can get the Fitz at scottsigler.com slash Fitzroy, F-I-T-Z-R-O-Y dash Audible. It's only on Audible exclusively until December 3rd, 2021, due to a one-year exclusivity deal with Audible. So if you don't have an Audible account and you want that Mount Fitzroy audiobook for free, then check out the info at scottsigler.com slash audible and learn how you can get it. Now, let's chat about The Gangster. Holy crap, five years. But it hasn't been five years in GFL time, junkies. No, not at all. Barely any time at all has elapsed. We will pick up the story right where the champion left off. When we last saw our erstwhile competitor, Quentin Barnes, he was in a rejuve tank in the locker room hospital of Rolling Rock Stadium in the Jupiter Net Colony. He had been injured in the Galaxy Bowl, breaking his collarbone on a big hit of Jupiter Jacks quarterback Don Pine. The book ended as Doc Pata, the INF Kraken's team doctor, put Quentin under sedation. And that, my friends, is where we now begin book Six, the gangster. Here we go. I'm excited. I hope you're excited and I hope you dig it. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Book 1. To the Victors. Possessions. Damage that sculpture, and I will replace it with a diorama made from your severed feet. Two laborers, a worker and a human, froze in place. Wearing matching light gray coveralls, they stared up at Greedock, who watched them from his throne atop a white, three-meter-tall column. The human stopped breathing. The worker's cornea swirled with threads of pink, and his muscular pedipalp arms began to tremble so badly he had to hold them with the hands of his thick middle arms. Both of them so easily intimidated, as it should be. They were tasked with packing up Grand Tete Mince, a small, ancient sculpture of a stylized human head, flattened like the blade of a knife. The bronze sculpture rested atop a pedestal, which stood in a niche built into the chamber's curved wall. One of the treasures Greedot kept on display here, Grand Tete Mince was priceless, irreplaceable. 
sculpture, and pedestal alike needed to be removed to make space for a new treasure, one Greedock wanted to look upon every single day. The laborers did not move. They stood there, staring up in fear. They were not being paid to stare. Virak, Greedock said. The warrior slid out of a small alcove set in the pillar's base, opposite the chamber's double doors. Normally, the round room's deep shadows would have helped mask Virak's movements, but with delicate work in progress, the overhead lights blazed full and bright. The eyes of the laborers shifted from Greedock to Virak. The warrior towered over them, 375 pounds of muscle and scarred, thick, engraved, enameled chitin. Get back to work, Virak said. The laborers scrambled to obey. They moved clumsily, too fast. The human bumped the worker, the worker bumped the pedestal. The knife-head sculpture teetered, tumbled off, dropped toward the floor. Virak caught it in one pedipalp hand. The warrior's chitinous lids narrowed on his single baseball-sized eye. Threads of black swirled on the cornea. Be more careful, Virak said. The human nodded. The worker's cornea flooded solid pink. Greedock wondered if the laborers knew how close to death they had just come. Virak set the sculpture atop the pedestal. As he returned to his alcove, Greedock watched him. The warrior moved slower than normal, likely still feeling the effects of being shot twice in the chest by that Yakochat Jonathan Sandoval days earlier. Virak would soon be fully recovered. The two fresh chitin scars witnessed to his devotion to his shamakath. But what good was that devotion, really? If Virak had done his job, if he had killed Sandoval as he'd been ordered to do, Hokor the Hookchest would still be alive. Hokor. Greedock stirred, adjusting himself on the throne's cushions, trying to find a comfortable position. The hook chest had to be replaced. What a task that would be. How many coaches were so talented they could win a Galaxy Bowl from beyond the great blankness? Massal the Efficient was planning Hokor's solidity ceremony. In five days, players, fans, the media, and more would gather to pay tribute to the two-time Galaxy Bowl winning coach. Greedock wanted a grand ceremony, something spectacular, something that appropriately reflected the hook chess exemplary career. Hokor deserved such honors. He had been Greedock's greatest underling. Underling. A word clearly defined. A word that left no gray area, no room for interpretation, and yet, for Hokor, was that word truly accurate? Greedock owned the Krakens. Greedock owned Hokor, yet the hook chest was the closest thing to an equal that Greedock had known in a century, since Greedock had been an underling himself, sworn to serve Pylor the Tame. Hokor was now neither underling nor equal. Hokor was gone. Greedock should have been basking in the glory of Ionath's third GFL title, yet the Galaxy Bowl victory felt hollow. The best dish in the universe turned to scorched carbon in his mouth. Hokor had refused Greedock's direct order, rushing off to help Virak and Quentin fight Sandoval instead of escaping danger with his Shamakath. Why? Greedock wanted to believe, perhaps, that Hokor had done it to help buy his Shamakath more time to escape. Deep down, however, Greedock suspected a darker motivation. Had Hokor's loyalty 
the most important aspect of the quith culture, waned in those last moments. At the end, perhaps Hokor hadn't been loyal to Greedock at all. Perhaps, instead, he'd been loyal to Barnes. That abominable possibility pulled at Greedock's thoughts. If only Sandoval had survived. Oh, the delicious tortures Greedock would have applied to that human. A year's worth of pain. Two years' worth. Humans could survive a long time after a surgeon amputated their arms and legs, removed their tongues and eyelids. Greedock knew this from experience. But Sandoval had not survived. Barnes had killed him. Barnes had succeeded where Virag had failed. A bitter dessert atop the meal of ash. Jason Prognow, a kraken, had been part of the attack. He'd helped Sandoval get aboard the touchback. Prognow had apparently planted the lethal bomb. Sandoval had killed Prognow, a fitting end for a traitor. But who had paid Sandoval? Jack's owner, J.T. Manis, was the most likely culprit, trying to derail the Krakens before the title game. Manis had sent Greedock condolences on Hokor's death, as well as congratulations on the league title, exactly what Greedock would have done had he tried to assassinate Jack's quarterback, Don Pine. If not Manis, then who? Gloria Ogawa, perhaps. She would do it out of spite. Anna Volani? The Krakens had defeated her orbiting death in the playoffs for two straight seasons, denying Volani a chance at GFO glory. Her hatred and violent ways knew no bounds. Her influence continued to grow, as did her appetite for more power. Maybe another owner was behind the attack. Or maybe someone in Greedock's own syndicate. An up-and-coming underling, like Stedmar Osborne, for one, had much to gain by impacting Greedock's reputation and power, if not killing him outright. But Osborne had his own team now. He and shipwright Manny Sayed owned the Buddhist city elite. Osborne had made that move without requesting his Shamakath's permission. An indication of fraying allegiance? Was Osborne becoming too powerful for his own good? Did he want to weaken Greedock so he could make his own move on Greedock's holdings? Then there was Barnes's strange relationship with the Prawat. Barnes had spoken to Petra Prawat, their living god. Could enemies of that biorobotic race have hired Sandoval to plant the bomb on the touchback? So many possibilities, so many variables, yet someone was responsible for Hokor's death. Greedock would find out who it was. That sentient would spend a century praying to die. The laborers, slowly and gently, lowered Grand Tetments into a custom-built crate. Greedock smelled the fear in their sweat. When they sealed the crate, he sensed their bodies finally relaxing, heard their heart rates ease slightly. They rolled the crate out of the chamber, the heavy doors closing behind them. The sculpture would be stored in one of Greedock's warehouses until such time as he wanted to see it again. After the solidity ceremony, the empty niche would be filled with a new piece of art, a life-size, stained, crystal representation of Hokor the Hookchest, sculpted by none other than Moon O. Tallow. Expensive? Of course. O. Tallow's skills were sought out by heads of state, by business royalty, by the richest beings in the galaxy. When it came to celebrating the memory of the greatest coach in Kraken's history, 
Greedock would have only the best. Chemical, Virak said from below. Shall I return the lighting to normal? Yes. The chamber dimmed, leaving only a ring of illumination where the round walls met the ceiling. Shadows reclaimed their proper place. Lights in the twelve niches lit up Greedock's treasures, the paintings, sculptures, and artifacts that served as witness to his wealth and power. Hey, junkies, a quick break for a word from this episode's sponsor, ConvertKit. ConvertKit's free plan helps creators like you turn your passions into full-time careers. Why? Because you grow your fan base, promote your work, and build a meaningful relationship with your audience. I just put out Mom Fitzroy. I've communicated with people via email. We built this list. It's the reason a lot of people were able to go get the book when we put it out. This stuff really works. You can share your work with fans by creating a custom landing page in minutes, which showcases your work and upcoming projects. ConvertKit's email designer helps you create beautiful, simple emails that help turn your casual audience into true fans. It helps you write professional and personalized emails about your work and the process that helps you connect with your audience. ConvertKit helps creators earn a living by doing what they love with tools to help promote your work, sell products, and announce new projects to your fans. Go to convertkit.com slash Scott. That is C-O-N-V-E-R-T-K-I-T dot com slash S-C-O-T-T to sign up for a free account and find your audience faster. And now back to the story. The doors opened slightly. Masal the efficient slid into the chamber as silent as a bit of soft fabric blown across the floor by a slight breeze. The worker wore a smooth crimson jacket with braided bronze trim, perfectly tailored to his slim torso and thick middle arms. Jacket and black pants alike were immaculate, as always. Greedock noticed hints of silver in Masal's well-groomed black fur. Would he start dyeing his fur to hide his age, as Greedock did? Shamakath, I have the player updates you requested, as well as my first report on available coaches. Yes, the Krakens had won the 2686 GFL title. But as far as Greedock was concerned, the 2687 season had begun the moment the Galaxy Bowl game clock hit 0-0-0. Players first, Greedock said. Start with Barnes. He is still on the regulator and will be coming out of deep rejuve later this afternoon. Barnes had taken significant damage during the Galaxy Bowl. After the game, Pata had put Barnes under. Before Greedock knew about it, GFL Commissioner Rob Frost had taken the unconscious quarterback from the Jupiter Stadium to the Regulator, a former battleship-turned-league headquarters. Frost had cited an imminent danger to Barnes, an insinuation that Greedock could not protect his own property. Such hubris on Frost's part. Somewhere down the road, Greedock would deal with the little human commissioner. For now, though, Frost wasn't a high priority. Barnes was. That human's Galaxy Bowl performance. Sublime and spectacular. He had plucked victory from the jaws of defeat. While Rebecca Montaigne got the glory, capturing MVP honors, Greedock had no illusions as to who had delivered the win. But could Barnes deliver another championship? Would his injuries heal correctly? Would his thunderbolt of a left arm be as strong and accurate as it had been during his record-setting 26-86 season? 
When can Ptah examine bonds again? Unknown at this time, Masol said. Commissioner Frost informed me that he will send for Ptah after Ganagadi has finished her exam. Ganagadi, the GFL's top doctor, she was known for her surgical brilliance. Greedock had once tried to bully her into letting Barnes play despite the quarterback's obvious concussion. Ganagadi had not backed down. Patel was an excellent team doctor, granted, but Ganagadi was a level above. Why not let her try to fix Barnes's arm? The work wasn't costing Greedock a single credit. Greedock hoped Barnes would heal. For all the human's myriad attitude problems and ongoing disrespect, he was a -a once-in-a-generation talent. If he returned, the Krakens would be favorites to win a third straight Galaxy Bowl, a feat accomplished only once in GFL history. If Barnes could not perform, Greedock needed to know and know soon. Montaigne had played well enough to beat Jupiter, but she was no franchise quarterback, nor was third stringer Trevor Haney. To replace Barnes, Greedock would have to find a top five QB. Yes, losing Barnes would hurt the franchise's bottom line, but it would also bring long-awaited satisfaction. The human would, finally, learn the cost of his insolence. Shamakath, shall I continue? Greedock's thoughts had drifted away. That only seemed to happen when Barnes was involved. Yes, what does Ptah say about the status of Chodo the Bright? The linebacker had suffered a horrendous leg hyperextension in the first round of the playoffs against the Buddha City elite. Dr. Ptah feels we must wait and see, Masal said. He last examined Chodo two days before the attack on the touchback. The leg is recovering, but until it is healed, there is no way of knowing how the injury will affect Chodo's speed and lateral movement. Chodo was part of the Kraken's strong linebacker core. Virak the mean on the left, John Tweedy in the middle, Chodo on the right. Backup linebacker Pishore the Fang, now heading into his third season with the Krakens, had shown great promise. Pishore had been banged up in the Galaxy Bowl, but hadn't sustained a serious injury. Eventually, he would become the starter. But for now, a healthy Chodo was a significantly better player. That exam is now a week old, Greedock said. Patah should have given you a more recent assessment. Masal brushed a pedipalp hand back across his six antennae, a sure sign of news that Greedock would not like. Chodo is with Barnes on the regulator, the worker said, as is Rebecca Montaigne. Of course, Chodo was with Barnes. The warrior had abandoned his commitment to a shamacath and, instead, pledged fealty to a human. Unthinkable. Greedock knew he should order Chodo to return to Ionath for a new exam, but Greedock would lose face if the warrior ignored that command. Best to leave it alone for now. Chodo was an affordable starting linebacker. He would either heal and play, or he would not. Only then would Greedock deal with the warrior's betrayal. Concerns at quarterback, at linebacker, and on the offensive line. Tell me of Kimberlin, Greedock said. Dr. Patas says Kimberlin needs time to recover from the season. However, testing indicates Kimberlin's overall strength has dropped 4% from the 2686 preseason levels and is down 6% compared to 2685 postseason testing. A 6% decline. Unfortunate. Kimberlin is 32 years old, I believe. 33, Shemekath. 
No matter player's skill, strength, speed, or intellect, there was no escaping the stalking specter of age. 33 was fairly old for a heavy G player. When their big bodies finally started to give out on them, they declined rapidly. Timberland's usefulness was near its end. Center Budo Schweck was 66 years old, heading into his 30th pro season. His backup, heavy G Josh Athanas, was ready to step in when the time came, but the Krakens did not have a backup guard talented enough to replace Timberland. When you look for new players, Predox said, prioritize quality backup linebackers, starting offensive guards, and starting linebackers. But focus your skill on finding me a potential starting quarterback. Find me a diamond in the rough. Among Masal's long list of qualities, the worker had become an excellent assessor of talent. From Hokor, Masal had learned to identify potential players according to specific on-field and off-field traits. That relationship paid massive dividends when Masal learned of a young prodigy named Quentin Barnes. Masal had compiled a highlight holo of Barnes and shared it with Hokor. Hokor had immediately used that highlight reel to press Greedock to acquire Barnes. On top of Masal's gift for finding little-known players, the worker's accountant mind also kept track of the most important part of any franchise, the financial bottom line. Masal did everything he was asked, and then some, going above and beyond in all categories. In a galaxy filled with threats, Greedock took solace in the reliable, consistent performance of his most loyal underling. Running back may also be an issue, Masal said. We have received a formal negotiation request for Jude Tweedy. Considering our salary cap issues, it will be difficult for us to re-sign him. Three years earlier, Anna Villani had wanted Jude Tweedy dead. Greedock had offered you a simple choice. Sign a three-year deal with the Krakens at league minimum and be protected by Greedock's organization or face Villani's wrath alone. Jew signed. That contract had expired halfway through last season. After Frost arrested Yitzhak Goldman for collaborating with the Zoroastrian Guild, Greedock had been able to add Goldman's salary to Jew's, keeping the big running back happy through season's end. But with the season over, Jew's agent, that legless worm Danny Lundy, would push for a huge deal. No more bargain contract. Now an unrestricted free agent, Jew is the best running back in the game and a major factor in Ionath's back-to-back titles. Can we afford to pay what Lundy expects? No, Masal said. Analysts predict Jew will land a record-setting contract for his position. Signing him at market rates would put us well over the cap. Greedock had found a way to make Quentin Barnes sign for far less than the quarterback was worth. Could he find a way to make Jew Tweedy do the same? Seven months until the 2687 preseason began. Perhaps that was enough time to find a creative solution. Then again, if Barnes did not return, there would be ample cap space to sign Jew to a large contract. The Krakens would have to find a far lesser quarterback, but it could be done. Ionath as a run-first team? Quite a thought. To make that strategy successful, Greedock would need the right coach. Out of the candidates to replace Hokor, who would you say is the best choice? Hig An Yang, Masal said instantly. 
he coached the Kinu Fangs to a key conference title and barely missed a Tier 1 berth when his team lost out to the McMurdo Murderers 35-32 in double overtime in the Tier 2 tournament semifinal round. Higan has a balanced offensive attack, focusing equally on short passes and running the ball. A key as the head coach of the Krakens? How unsavory. But it might have to be done. Haney didn't have Barnes's long ball accuracy, but the Amphib might be able to manage a more conservative passing game. Who else is on your short list? Bagel the Fishy, Massal said. He guided the Citadel Aquanauts to a Tower Conference title. They were blown out 35-3 by the Downey Coelacants in the first round of the T2 tournament, but the Aquanauts were the top-rushing team in all of Tier 2. If you wish to rely on Ju Tweedy's ability, the Fishy would be a leading candidate. Bagel, a proper quith leader. So much better than dealing with a savage key. Greedock waited for additional names, but Massal offered none. That is your list? Two coaches? They are the best available candidates, the worker said. I am still reviewing potential Tier 3 coaches. Possibly replaced Hokor the Hookchest with an unproven Tier 3 coach? Was this what things had come to? Very well, Redox said. Are there any other player issues I need to be aware of? Luciano Kretzelfinger has made it known he would like to try out as a receiver instead of as a defensive back. The request has reignited tensions between the Sklorno and Prowat players. Sklorno were so high-strung. Greedock was sure a new coach would straighten out the issue. Could Kretzelfinger, a Prowat, succeed as a wide receiver? On another team, perhaps, but not on the Krakens. With receivers Denver, Milford, Halawa, Tower the Freak, Sheboygan, and Haywick, the Krakens were, as humans like to say, loaded for bear at that position. Perhaps if the Kraken shifted to a run-heavy offense, Kretzelfinger might be trade bait to bring in depth at offensive line. Understood, Greedock said. Is that all? One additional issue, Shamakath. It seems that George Starcher's sanity is again in question. He has been using a false name and appearing on fringe broadcasts talking about conspiracy theories. Humans and their fragile minds. What name has he been using? George Karcher, Massal said. Greedock wondered if the idiot human thought that was a clever false identity. What is he talking about on these broadcasts? His old one's nonsense again? No, Shamakath. He is bought into a minor conspiracy theory that involves an alien invasion fleet from another galaxy, the Abernessia. It was as if the conspiracy theorists who concocted such falsehoods never spoke them out loud, never heard themselves utter such nonsensical words. From another galaxy, Greedock said. Do the simpletons who peddle these imaginations even bother to learn the most basic elements of physics? Apparently not, Shamakath. Starcher was another Massal discovery. The human could be exhausting, but he had played well and was possibly on the verge of a breakout season. For his talent level, Starcher's contract was a steal. Inform him that everything he does reflects on this franchise, Greedock said. He is not to appear on any further broadcasts without my express permission. I will tell him, Shamakath. Massal could always be relied upon to communicate Greedock's wishes quietly and effectively. With any luck, George Karcher would cease his nonsense 
and the issue would end. Greedock heard a soft buzzing that would have been silent to most, but not to him. Massal's palm up, giving an alert. The worker raised a pedipalp hand, read the message. Wakan Reed is en route to Ionath, Massal said. He will deliver his report to you personally. Finally, five days since the attack on the touchback that killed Hokor and Kopor the climber that had injured Nancy Wolf. Both the Kretorakian Empire and the Planetary Union were investigating the incident, yet neither government had given Greedock any useful information. So many questions. Hopefully, Wakan had answers. Also, Massal said, Zogby will be here momentarily. He has a new setting to show you. Another human to deal with. That species seemed to be everywhere these days. They bred like Gindax. Zogby had best delivered top quality this time, Greedock said. Bring him in as soon as he arrives. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Heaven's a Lie by the band Lacuna Coil. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.